And today we are covering Twilight. So this episode is going to have spoilers. Spoiler alert. There will be spoilers for the entire Twilight series, including Midnight Sun, all of the other Twilight books, all of the movies, and maybe a little bit of life and death as well. Uh, If you know what I'm talking about, we'll get into that a little later to warn you or not warn you. I don't know. We're not going to be just hating on Bella or Stephanie Meyer or Twilight the whole time. Although Josiah's perspective on his uh, team is a little interesting, but I think we'll have a good time with it anyway. So as we introduce ourselves today, my name is Rebecca and we're going to share fun facts about ourselves. Today's fun fact is what is a book or book series that you wish had been adapted to film or maybe, you know, good TV, but has not been yet. So I had a couple of answers for this and I really hope that I'm not stealing anyone else's, but I am currently listening to the heart striker series, but you're re-listening. I am re-listening for like the fourth time. So the first book in the series is nice dragons finish last. The author is Rachel Aaron And it is one of those book series that I think would be hard to adapt. You'd have to change a lot about like some magic systems that they use and stuff like that. But I think it would be such a fun, probably TV series. I don't know if a movie series would be the best, but that is mine that I, it's like something I want to see adapted. Probably mine would be the uh, memory man series by David Baldacci. Um, It's uh, about a man who hasn't, who has an accident uh, initially when he's in high school as a quarterback and he dies. And as a consequence of this, he, um, he remembers things. He has a, an extremely good memory uh, and he can't get away from it. And he eventually, he becomes a police officer and a de- eventually a detective, but it's, it's a really interesting series uh, the dynamic because he at one point is accused of killing his wife and daughter whom he loved very, very much in his first case is to find out uh, who it actually was. And what what is your name? Oh, sorry. My name is Tim. I'm the dad <laughs> of these two wonderful people and the husband of Donna. Aww. I should probably mention that I am the daughter slash sister of the family sorry i forgot that too man we're We're just killing it today we're so we are experienced podcasters so i'm mom donna and my my pick would be project hail mary by andy weir (gasps) 
He wrote The Martian, and this is another work of his that's also science fiction. He works in a lot of techie facts, if you like that kind of writing. But he does it in a way that you don't get lost. You don't feel stupid. But the storyline about the guy who ends up on this project to save the earth. Um, I won't go into more detail because I don't want to spoil it. But Andy Weir is masterful in this storyline. If you liked The Martian, I think you'll love this. It it reads along with the, with the same, um, kind of the same tempo, the same kind of feel of the book. It's so good. It is genuinely one of the standalone books that I have like, could not put down. I got through like part of chapter one and we were literally on vacation and I was listening to the audiobook. I literally had a headphone in at dinner with our family at one point because I could not stop the story. It was so good. It's got those pieces where you're laughing, you're concerned, and then there's parts where you're just weeping and it's mm-hmm. a good thing. Like it's it's a good experience. Yeah. That would be mine. I am Josiah, the hermano slash eho of mm-hmm. the family. And I goodness gracious, I should read more, but if I had to say which book or book series we wish has been adapted to film, I could make a joke that I wish that the Game of Thrones books were adapted to (laughs) film, but better. Uh, I could also make a joke that I wish that the heirs of history were adapted to film, Mm. which is my recently published. (laughs) Not at all. uh, Self-serving. Not at all. Self shameless plug or anything like that. It is a shameless um, plug. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that Catcher in the Rye does not have a book or a movie adaptation? Dang. One of the most famous uh, books ever. But um, I think that some of the, it's so nerdy of me, but I think some of the Game of Thrones supplementary material uh, that isn't already being covered in the prequel, House of the Dragon, would make for some good uh, content. But who knows? I think that Hollywood has kind of a stranglehold over the common folks imaginations that if if a movie adaptation is made out of it, then it's a great book. Then it's legit Mm -hmm. and it's uh, has legitimacy. But, you know, some things just want to be books. I don't know. Sure. I also had a backup answer that was really my (laughs) other real answer, but I thought that one of you would use it. Red Rising. I'm so sick of waiting for the Red Rising movie slash television show. It is literally okay. I was thinking of saying that, but I haven't actually read them yet. I've just heard about Dude. how great they are. Okay, dear <laughs> listener, I'm going to give you some. Uns- I mean, you're listening to my podcast. Obviously, you want to hear my advice. Uh, listen to yeah, the Red Rising okay. series and listen to it on Audible. Like the reader is so good. Like this is one that I would. You can buy the physical books, but I'm saying even if you read physical books, re- listen to the audiobook. It is such a good experience, and the first trilogy is excellent. And also, they've been talking about making it into a television show for a long time. Okay, but I have an update. Project <gasps> Hail Mary is, is being made into a movie starring Ooh. 
Ryan Gosling. Oh, you're so excited. Mom Donna does not look as excited, or is she so excited she's about to cry? I'm, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> oh my. I see, I see. It's in development, but there was a and it's been in development since 2020, but there's an update in 2023 that they talked about it and it is still happening. So what could have slowed down development in 2020? Oh I don't know. Nothing in, of interest no. happened. I don't think that would have affected yeah, I don't anything. Know. Um all right. So what what are we doing we, today? Twilight and Midnight Sun? We are. So this one's obviously a little weird because Twilight was mm -hmm. the original book that was adapted into a film. Uh, Midnight Sun was not an adaptation. It was written after, I think, the film came out. But it wasn't, you know, obviously yeah. it wasn't used for the film. But uh, let's talk about Twilight. So I'm going to give us a quick plot rundown. And then we'll talk about the differences between book and movie and just kind of dive right in. So Story of Twilight is about Bella Swan. She's a bookish, quiet high school junior, moves from Phoenix, Arizona to Forks, Washington. In the rainiest city in the United States, Bella quickly develops an eye for Edward Cullen, a gorgeous pale boy who's a member of a freakishly beautiful family in town. Uh, she makes many friends, settles into life with her father, Charlie, and her childhood friend, Jacob. Bella cannot stop fixating on Edward. And who can blame her? Because... He is hot stuff and he's very mysterious. And also he acted like he was going to murder her the first time they met, <laughs> which of course is totally normal and makes you want to love somebody. Uh, so the two fall in love during no, a series acted of like traumatic he was events. Vomit the first time they met. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the two fall in love during a series of traumatic events during which Bella discovers that Edward and his family are vampires. They are sparkly vampires. In fact, uh, as the pair finally begin to feel comfortable together, the Cullens and Bella and encounter a trio of nomadic vampires and their leader, James, ends up trying to hunt Bella down and kill her, um, which is like the climax of the story. Uh, he does end up biting her and breaking at least one limb. Uh, Edward and his family are able to save Bella and not let her turn into a vampire. Um but their story concludes at the prom. Bella makes it clear to Edward that she wants to become a vampire, even though like he's really like against the idea and the book ends. And in the film, there's also this side plot going on throughout that. There are like people dying in the area because as you find out that trio of vampires they met had been like feeding in their local area. So that's movie only, but let's talk about differences. Oh, goodness. I, I, as you'll know, that's probably the shortest plot summary we've had yeah. in the entire podcast <laughs> yes. series so far. I rewrote it four times. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just thinking about how gossamer thin the plot is already, which uh, was not really rectified too much between book and movie. But I do think the movie made a couple improvements to the story, including foreshadowing James and Victoria mm -hmm. throughout the beginning, throughout the middle of the film with the animal attacks and the, the poor guy, what's his name? Waylon. Waylon. Yeah. Waylon. The Santa Claus guy. <laughs> um, him, he, him dying to James and Victoria and, and police chief Charlie thinking it's like a bear or a wolf or something. 
So I would agree that that was like a good change. It foreshadowed better that there were like other vampires in the area and stuff like that. My one problem is going to be the climax of the story. Yeah, for sure. But my one problem with foreshadowing it in that way specifically is that that's also kind of a subplot in literally the second and third stories that like suddenly there are mysterious (laughs) killings that are just like not mysterious because it's vampires. And so it is a little weak that like they used the same thing. I think it could have been done a little bit differently, but you know, I, it was a much better introduction to that part. I think of the Harry Potter books where every book has this unique engaging mystery. And then the, the solution to the mystery is some twist at the end with a villain or someone you thought was a villain, but's a good guy. And, so I feel like maybe I've been spoiled. <laughs> We've been spoiled by Harry Potter's um, better writing in the books Fair. to see, oh, yeah, we can have a different mystery every book. And Stephanie <laughs> Meyer did not. That's I mean, I think that honestly, she didn't care about that. She she wanted yeah. to tell the story about Edward and Bella. And so the the other parts of the story seemed very second or third. Yeah. Uh, rate of importance to her. If I can throw some trivia in to the differences, she had a specific classic novel in mind for each of the Twilight books. Yeah, I didn't know this before. Which I thought was interesting. It doesn't follow just one trope or one writing. It's hmm. uh, Romeo and list. Juliet... Well, the first the first book was based oh. or was inspired by Pride and Prejudice. So sorry, by Jane Austen. I got them out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the one by Jane Austen. So yes. Pride and Prejudice <laughs> was Twilight. New Moon was Romeo and Juliet. Eclipse mm-hmm. was Wuthering Heights. And if our friend Travis happens to listen to this, <laughs> he may throw his phone at that because he hates Wuthering Heights. And I actually never read it. And he lets everyone know it. And he lets everyone know it. He also hates Twilight. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, maybe. <laughs> he may not have a problem. <laughs> and then Breaking Dawn was based on The Merchant of Venice and A Midsummer Night's Dream. And she said they just came to her and that's what she wanted to do. And Yeah. Took off with it. I, I'm I'm failing to. This is not about Twilight. This is about Breaking Dawn. But I'm failing to remember in Midsummer Night's Dream and Merchant of Venice, where a uh, you know teenage werewolf falls in love with a baby. <laughs> wow, we'll get into that in the third episode of this series of this like mini series on the podcast for sure. Oh goodness. Speaking gracious. of the werewolf, though, let's talk about Jacob's differences in the first film because like. He appears more in the film, doesn't he, than in the book? Yeah, Starts I think off they, much earlier. Yeah. Taylor Lautner was like a part of the whole craze at the beginning when they were casting everyone. And so I think that they worked him into the script earlier, partly like, you know, you said foreshadowing stuff is helpful because he just kind of comes, you know, he comes in much later in the, the book. But in the movie, there's a scene near the beginning. It's like literally in the first six minutes, I put, wrote this down um, where Jacob and his dad, Billy, are like meeting Charlie, Bella's father, um, at their house and they show her the truck that Charlie bought, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the book, Jacob is not actually in until the group of teenagers 
visit La Push, um, and that's where like the beach. Bella first, yeah, the beach, and so that's where Bella first has like discovers the vampire thing. And in the book, Jacob says, "Does he say vampire?" He, but in the movie, he doesn't. No, he calls them blood drinkers, and then he says oh, the well, word okay. vampire. Well, you know, in the book, I think he does say the word vampire after saying blood drinkers, but in the movie. He doesn't use the word vampire. And they also, and he uses like cold ones when he's talking about their, uh, their histories and, and their, the myths he thinks at least in the first book, I thought it was a cool thing to go the long, long hair. And then later on in, in subsequent books, when he changes, we go the short hair. I mean, I thought there were a lot of visual things they did. Right. I think that what you're pointing out is one of the differences that I noticed reading back was that number one, Jacob is supposed to be really tall when she first meets him and he continues to get really, really much taller. So I did think it was interesting that they chose Taylor Lautner, who is not tall. He's barely taller than Bella. And um, there were a couple of other characters that Stephanie Meyer describes in the books as being very different stature. So like Jessica and Alice are both supposed to be incredibly short women um, as well. So I thought that was interesting because if you look at the movies, like everybody's pretty much the same height, except Edward and Emma and Jasper are notably taller, which I thought was just a I fascinating choice. That something similar to the Hunger Games uh, books that we were talking about is that when you make a Hollywood movie, everyone has to be an attractive Hollywood actor. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to get, oh, yeah, Belle is so much prettier than everyone else. No. Uh, well, actually, I guess a better example is Rosalie. that yeah. honestly. Oh, that's another good example. I was going to say, honestly, take any of Bella's guy friends from high school, put them in different makeup. I think that any of them could have played Edward. Maybe not the guy that played Eric. They could have pulled it off. I think that he could have been a quirky Perhaps. little Edward. Considering what you just said, what do you think about the fact that they initially wanted Henry Cavill to play Edward? But by the time they got through several years of production talks and were ready, he was 25 and they said no. And so then they said, well, would he play Carlisle? And he mm. said he was already committed to another film and he couldn't do it. He would have made a pretty good Carlisle. I couldn't see Edward even younger. I, somehow in my yeah. head, I don't see. When we talked about, you know, the actors and everything being being beautiful people, Rosalie is supposed to be so enormously beyond <laughs> belief, beautiful yeah. that mm -hmm. nobody could resist her. And, you know, in the, in the Does film. she crack the top three yeah, in, in the film? In the film, she's she's a, a an attractive, attractive. woman. And One it's weird. Yeah. It's also weird to me. Like, just choose a hot blonde. Like, I loved the actress, but like, if you see the actress with her natural brown hair, she's drop dead gorgeous. In the film, she looked weird because she's a brunette who has dyed her hair in the first couple of movies blonde, and it doesn't. She doesn't like look. She just doesn't have that overwhelming quality, which I think is one of the issues with a lot of adaptations. Again, you yeah. said we already talked about it, but it is an interesting yeah. thought process. Most of them wore hair pieces. Bella hairpiece, Rosalie started with dye, and just like 
uh, Jennifer Lawrence, they had to move to hair to wigs because they were destroying her hair. Right. Um, let's talk timeline because they did change the timeline of the first book. And I will, I will say, unlike a lot of adaptations or at least some, Stephanie Meyer was very, very involved in all of the changes and all of the screenplay stuff. So she approved essentially everything that was changed. Um, sometimes obviously when the writer is not as involved, that's a lot different, but they changed the timeline of the first book. So in the book, Bella actually moves to Forks in January and in the film, it starts out by saying it's March, middle of second semester or whatever. Um, in the book, there are also two dances, like the first dance that all of the drama right. happens before she starts dating Edward is like the girl's choice. And then there's a prom that happens later, and that becomes an awkward question for everyone. I think that simplifying the timeline was actually a really good choice because you have one dance, you have like kind of one clear stream of thought. They also cut out a month of time, essentially, where Edward saves Bella from getting hit by Tyler's van, Josiah. <laughs> and um, after that, in the book, there's like a month that goes by where Edward just like ignores her and is like trying to not be her friend or whatever. And uh, in the movie, it basically is like a couple of days or a day go by and then they just decide to be friends you know i think that makes sense as far as book slash a uh, movie adaptation where in the book it's so easy and so natural and so expected by the reader to move time quickly mm -hmm. like that whereas with film you can use montage but i think the suspense uh, is maintained better when you can have a quicker pace yeah. quicker timeline Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the book, Bella is a lot more domestic. She she cooks a lot of mm. meals and things like that and uses grandma's recipes. But in the movie, she and Charlie eat at the diner most of the times that you see them eating. Uh, so that's um, that I was one of the differences that. because it ha having her cook and things like that helps to... Um, helps to expand the thought that she's selfless because she's always trying to help other people and she's always taking the roles of of serving other people so they don't have to. Uh, and you miss that in the book, uh, or in the movie, rather. And she's a little more selfish in the movie because there aren't those times. Uh, you don't see those kinds of things. I will say reading the book for the first time recently, I was so pleasantly surprised at the beginning of the book because I was trying to go in the blank slate, trying to go in with with good faith, trying to judge it without uh, having the critiques of the movie in my head. And before Ed, before Bella meets Edward, I thought that Bella was a really nice person. Um, a really relatable person with some flaws. But the thing that stood out to me was that every time she had a negative thought, like, oh, goodness, I'm never going to see the sun again. Uh, then she would have like a positive thought and she'd be like, well, at least I won't get sunburnt. That probably wasn't what she said. But every time she had these like little negative viewpoints, she would counterbalance it with a positive. And she did that like four times in the first couple chapters and it really made me 
like her as a character. Be like, okay, yeah, a lot of kids have moved when uh, in the middle of a year when parents do something and a lot of people are children of divorce. And so it's just she's very relatable. And that somewhat goes out the window whenever she meets Edward. But uh, (laughs) before she meets Edward, I thought that she was surprisingly likable and more likable than in the film. Let's uh, also talk about the fact that while Midnight Sun is not the book adapted, we did read it. I think most of us read it for like preparing for this. There was so much more depth even that you hear. So for those of you who are listening who have never heard of Midnight Sun or don't know what I'm talking about, Midnight Sun is a book that Stephanie Meyer wrote that is basically the story of the first Twilight novel, but it's all from Edward's first-person perspective. So you get to hear a lot of how he you know, saw things, thoughts he heard other people have, his experience during the times when Bella in the book, in the original Twilight book, just like doesn't know what he's thinking, whatever. So mm-hmm. in Midnight Sun, I oh, I will say Edward is so much more whiny in that book than I thought he came off in uh, the other book. But <laughs> there were so much more pieces to Bella that offered this like depth to her character. And like you said, made her more likable to me. So he even like observed how this is stuff she never even mentions, but like he observes all these times where like she helped students in classes that were struggling or people that she saw that didn't have friends or like bringing them things. And so she's like this incredibly generous person, very giving, very servant hearted. Like, and he, that's one of the things that he keeps seeing that makes him not be able to avoid her anymore because he starts Mm. developing affection for her, which is also like, interesting because when we get to the end of the book uh when you meet renee for the first time in person edward in midnight sun talks about the fact that renee seems to have this power that he can like sense because he's a vampire where he can hear her thoughts and before she ever states them out loud when she's in the room with someone everyone in the room is drawn to like answer her needs Like they immediately Mm -hmm. want to come and help her. And so you kind of get this sense that like Bella actually did develop this sense of servant heartedness throughout like being raised by her mom who without like by no fault of her own and not on purpose, literally made her want to be helpful. I wouldn't take all the onus off of her. That's an interesting uh, character development to leave out of the movie. That she's yeah. so helpful because otherwise, otherwise she gets really whiny really quickly, and you do feel she like has no hobbies. Right, she doesn't do anything. She seems depressed most <laughs> of the time, and um, it's it's strange that you wouldn't include that because that's that makes her character a lot deeper. Uh, that yeah. yeah yeah. They also could have had even just a few mentions of Renee more than just saying. Oh, she's moving with Phil, and they kind of established that at the beginning and why the, why Bella comes to Forks. But you do see that in the book, Renee is a very, she's needy. Bella yeah. had to help her, and you get the little scene in the movie where she calls her, and she says, are you calling from a payphone? And Renee's like, uh, I didn't lose the phone. The, the it, it walked away. It went away. <laughs> yeah. You get little nod to it. But like you Renee said, and it's, Charlie were my favorite characters. 
Yeah. And Charlie is amazing to me in the book. And he's amazing in the movie. The casting mm. of him was spot on to what <laughs> I got from him out of the book. Who do you think was the best actor in the first movie? Actor. Oh, probably yeah. the guy that played Charlie, right? Yeah, I think it was, I like I think Charlie. It was Charlie. Yeah, I think probably. He's he's so real. He's so down to earth in the middle of a very surreal blue filter fantasy. And he's just this real guy. But a good secondary character. I thought Anna Kendrick and oh, yeah. and the kids. She's amazing. That she made friends with. I thought they were decent. I, I liked what they did. They meshed well together. I thought they had a better chemistry as a group as the better than Edward and his family. Yeah. When you first get to see them. <laughs> well, because they're real people. Yeah, they yeah. seem more real. And, and the the Collins yeah. do move into a better chemistry, I think. Even through the first movie, I feel more comfortable with them. And then I think that improves as we go to other movies. But you lose one of the characters from the book. Yeah, there's a third character, I Lauren. Lauren, was, that's what it is. Yeah, they take a, out Lauren. And she's the one that ends up being really rude to Bella. Like, she makes yep. a lot of rude comments. They combine Jessica and Lauren. And, La like, instead of Lauren being a character, Jessica has some moments where she's, like, a little more rude and stuff like that. I do think that the, the students, honestly, all of them were portrayed almost identically to how they were in the books, appearance yeah. aside. Like, Eric was supposed to be covered in pimples, you know. But, um... Stuff like that, I think, was so good. Like, Mike was exactly that kind of, like, awkward, protective. He wants to be Bella's boyfriend, but, like, knows she's not into it. And, like, Jessica, like, was, you know, kind of more outgoing and wants to be the center of attention. She's kind of annoyed that Bella gets Edward's attention. Angela was very docile and, like, you know, sweet and, and kind. They mm -hmm. also, the only other one I will say, they cut out Ben. Which one's Ben? Mm -hmm. Angela goes to the dance, the first dance in the book with Eric, but they're only ever friends. Ben is another member of the friend group that Angela ends up getting in a serious relationship with over the course of the series. So they cut that completely from all the movies, which I thought was good. Why would you cut out a friend who's mean to Bella? If that makes us feel worse for if that makes us feel for Bella, you're just yeah. taking out all these things from the movie yeah. that make us relate to Bella, that make her a flawed person. It's already in the book, and I hate it, that everyone asks her to prom. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. That's when that's when the book lost me is because uh, I liked Bella and I was like, OK, OK, I'm following her. I'm following her. Then when everyone asked her to prom, I just couldn't. It took me out of it. I couldn't help but think, OK, Stephanie Meyer, you just want you're writing a fantasy about how every guy wanted to ask uh, you how every you know every girl wants every guy to ask them to prom <laughs> or something like that and and that took me out of it because i i want bella to be she she was towards being grounded but then it just keeps giving her all of these everyone fawns all over her it is interesting how they how they seem to drop the things that make Bella an even more uh, broad and likable person from the book to the movie, the movie almost seems to want her to be more uh, two-dimensional. 
to be less complicated uh, and less deep. She was my least mm. favorite character in the movies. And I do think like I've seen Kristen Stewart act in other things where she had a lot of depth and was able to play like much more interesting characters. I do think that this was mm -hmm. a failure of whether it was writing or direction or whatever. I think it was a failure in the adaptation to like take out, like you said, everything that makes her likable, yeah. relatable. She just seems like a painfully shy person who's very plain looking, who I think they made her look as plain as they could so that they could have the transformation later on, which is obviously important, but like she's plain looking, but then people treat her like she's some, you know, gorgeous babe. Yeah. And like, instead of being sweet or particularly bookish and being interested in her novels and whatever else, it's like, nope, she's just someone who is completely <laughs> vanilla in every way. Who can't use ketchup bottles. <laughs> Yes, true. <laughs> Speaking of the high <laughs> tech of the ketchup bottle yeah. <laughs> that she can't use, um, there, it is interesting that just uh, in, I believe, was it four, four or five years after, after the first book was written, the first movie came out? It was 2008. It was 2005 to 2008. Oh, just, yeah. just three years? And I do think there was... A I do think that was a big difference because in 2005, every high school student did not have a cell phone. That's and in 2008, right. every high schooler might have had a cell phone. That is an amazing thing to me that just kind of shows the difference because what Meyer was writing um, was current and then what they were doing in the movie was, was current. And so there's so much difference in the tech, the cell phones, you know, and I, I do find it interesting even in the movie, though, that we're still not in the place where we are today because uh, they ask, they ask a couple of questions, you know, what was this or that? And I can't remember the specific question, but I thought, okay, if it was today, somebody, by the time you asked, finished the question would have already Googled it yeah, you know, to find the answer. So the internet's different, the mobile phone, stuff like that, computers. It, and that was a whole thread through the four books because Bella not having a phone was like a big point of contention because in the fourth book, finally Edward makes her like gives her a, a cell phone and she's like very annoyed. But like before then she emails Renee back and forth and they call on landlines. Like that's how they communicate because when Meyer wrote this, obviously it was published in 05, but she wrote it in the early two thousands, which is like, you know, I remember all that moving from my middle school to high school years was when all that was going on. But. Okay, here's a change that I, that surprised me. I thought this is so silly; it must be in the book, but it's not. Edward never calls Bella Spider Monkey in the book. No, because that's <laughs> stupid. That's a stupid thing. And then thing. Rosalie does not refer to Emmett as my Monkey Man in the book. I thought surely at least one of the monkey references is from the book, but no. I don't know if it was mm. Stephanie Meyer years later or if the director or someone just liked monkeys. I don't know. But that those were two weird lines that I thought, OK, well, I guess they're probably in the book. And they weren't. This is an audio podcast, so you can't hear me rolling my eyes, but you might be able to. <laughs> I it was like one of those. OK, do you ever like notice lines in movies or books where someone significantly older is trying to talk like a teenager talks and it sounds yes. so disingenuous. That is what it made me think of was like, 
I think you were trying to make it sound like something cute that a teenager would say, but it's like, yeah. if I started saying all of the weird, like things that the Gen Z, like I've been learning Gen Z slang because of my kids. And so like, I, I try to like huh. learn what they mean, but like, it's as if I was using all those words, no one actually thought that like Edward was like genuinely calling her a spider monkey. This man is 109 or something years old. Uh, he's 109 and still holds to values and stuff from when he was originally 17, which is a huge trope as we go on that about drives Bella crazy because he's living in the past, which I personally was glad she wrote it that way. So not complaining. Um, I apologize. I just for the, the rules lawyers in the room or not in the room, but like listening, he was 104 when they started the mm -hmm. first Twilight book. I apologize. Okay. Um, but the one, one change that I don't understand why they put in the movie, it was a chunk of time. I don't know. You'll have to tell me how long the scene, you think the scene was, mm -hmm. but they could have used it for other stuff was the field trip. Yeah. They why added they that. The, what was the, the point movie. of the field trip? What was the point of the compost tea discussion? Why they could have uh. done so many other they could have done funny stuff. They could have done anything. Probably a change of scenery from the school since we are in a visual yeah. medium. But to make it com to make it completely for the visual instead of plot, I think they, they could have done better with that change. I have a theory. I think that it was done partly. I mean, I think all of what you said is probably right as well. I think one of the reasons they did it that way was also to introduce this feeling of like levity and laughter and like the passage of time mm -hmm. in, in the set, like the set of people that are just humans, the age, normally all that stuff to make it feel compared to like this very serious gravitas of what the vampires live in where their lives are so like, it's just so different. Like there's not a lot of levity. There's not a lot of like, yeah. like I think it was meant to make the vampire thing feel like really serious and important and like all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then you have that compared to like the humans who just joke around and laugh a lot and, and all that stuff. Well, in midnight sun, Edward point. talks about the fact that, uh, that going to high school is, is just this, horrible thing this is the time he really wishes he could sleep and you know this is purgatory going to school yeah. so yeah those kinds of details um i also from midnight sun there are a couple things um you find out in edward's version that the would-be attacker in port angeles uh gets arrested because he gets uh carlisle to actually take the guy to another place and um Mm, Love basically that. help him get arrested and, and edward doesn't tell bella because he doesn't want to scare her by knowing that the guy who was going to attack her was like a genuine murderer correct and some other things about uh with midnight sun you get a lot more of the background detail of carlisle and esme and uh, rosalie and you find out find out a lot about his family that you don't Mm -hmm. You don't get in the movie, uh, in the movie version or in, or in the original book. So, I and like I will that. say midnight sun 
for comparison, because we did we reviewed Oppenheimer recently. It is the same length as the Oppenheimer audiobook. It is a freaking huge yeah. book. Mm-hmm. And like it's funny that it's so big com- considering that like a lot of the scenes you already know what's happening because you read the first book. Yeah. But while I got a little I think it was a little long. I got a little annoyed with his whininess mm-hmm. by the end of it. But I do think it was a really interesting read for all of these different little details. Another thing that you get in Midnight Sun that's never in the movie, which I don't think would have fit in the movie. I think this was the right choice, even if Meyer had it in her head. In Midnight Sun, you learn about what happens after Bella essentially passes out at the end of the ballet studio scene because she sleeps for three days or something. Mm -hmm. And so you find out all of this other stuff. They all of their run from James and stuff, which I thought was a really interesting story. I, I listened to, um, to a couple of, of YouTubers. Uh, one was a two hour and 40 minute uh, rant on why Edward was the worst because he was reviewing <laughs> uh, midnight sun. And I listened to another, another lady, a uh, young woman uh, reviewing as well. And she said it was so wonderful to to have this. This was the greatest thing to to be able to listen to it. And, and another one I listened to just thought that uh, that it was strange that that Meyer was so prudish uh, in all of the things that she does. And that, and that has something to do with the fact that that she is uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. And so um, she didn't want it to be R rated. She didn't want it to have um, have a sexual content and things like that. Um, but I, I find all that interesting and other people's views of this. Uh, some people look, look at this whole series and say, Oh, it was, it was terrible. It was awful, but it was extremely popular. Um, and then other people say, well, you know, it, they're, it's kind of come back around and some people question whether or not uh, it was good for women. And Meyer said she considered it, a feminist book because the women in the, in the book always make their decisions. They are, they determine their own uh, life and their outcome. I thought, I thought those things were interesting. It's also, I watched a video that Josiah sent us about kind of the flack that Twilight and Stephanie Meyer got for a while. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, I think, but um, the part that you said, her being a member of that of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because of that she wrote a book that was like very clean in other ways that like it was the steamy romance but like not in the not in a sexual way well apparently there was like this whole thing where the person who wrote 50 shades of gray EL James like i mean not word for word but like used a bunch of things and made them like hyper-sexualized and stuff like that. And there was a clip of an interview in that video we watched that was like Stephanie Meyer was like, I wish that Bella and Edward's story hadn't been used in that way, but, you know, what am I going to do about it? So it was interesting. One per- one person uh, I listened to about that particular thing said that actually the Fifty Shades of Grey was initially fan fiction of the Twilight story. Oh gosh. And that's that's how how they started it and in order to make it an independent thing later after it got a little more popular and they wanted to release it as a book, they took out all the references to forks and vampires and different things like that that would mark it 
as fan fiction connected to this other story. And so, um, you mean copyright infringement? <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been that would have been that kind of stuff. Well, but you've got a lot of fan fiction out there. Yeah, uh, and I, I find that interesting. But apparently, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey, at least purportedly, has uh, has a connection to that, which is very strange. <laughs> As we've talked through the last few things, it dawned on me what they could have used in place of that field trip scene. <laughs> okay. When we meet James, Victoria, and Laurent in the meadow, there's this great storyline in the book where he sees Alice first <sighs> and realizes he knows her. And so then mm. you get into Alice's story, and I think it's fleshed out more in Midnight Sun, mm -hmm. but... He met her, she was in an institution, and they make remarks in the books how Alice doesn't remember being human. It's a very interesting backstory of how Alice is completely different from the rest of them. She doesn't remember being human. Right. Later on, you know, Jasper gets a whole scene talking about him being the military man, <laughs> whatever his, his accent is. I did think it was weird to cut that out. It was a it was a choice that I felt like could you could have replaced some of the weird parts of the movie that didn't feel like they it felt like they did not move the plot along. You could have actually developed Alice's character with more of that. In the in the book, um, Edward warms back up to Bella after you know after she's he's listened to her turn down a, a number of suitors. It gives them an opportunity to to communicate and things like that because uh, it includes the biology class where they were doing blood typing that he, mm -hmm. he missed, but that's not in the film, but that was a, that was an opportunity to show he and Bella had this friendly one-on-one -on -one interaction before the trip to Port Angeles, right? It is so like bonkers to me that in the movie, like the whole interactions are, we meet him and he looks like, he is going to vomit. Okay. So like, that's a freaky thing. So then he's gone a few days. Then you see him again and he's like polite and they talk for like, like 15 minutes. And then he saves her from a car accident and makes a comment about not being friends. And then like awkwardly pulls her into the woods and it's like this intense scene. And it didn't, it didn't make any sense for anything, but like, mm -hmm love at first sight kind of thing where in the book, like they have interactions and like they encounter one another in ways where like Bella falls for who Edward is. And again, in the movie, it just makes her feel so vapid. Like, okay, you think he's hot. And that was like where it ends. And I just thought it was weird in the book. He helps her after she passes out during a blood typing session in biology class that Edward skips, like, and they, he takes her home and like helps her. And like, there's just a lot more, like the the timeline yeah. changes and the weird skipping school and going into the woods thing just I don't know. I it was so disingenuous. They did not seem like people who were falling in love. I think that for probably my biggest criticism of the book and movie as a story is the lack of plot. And so yeah. I I was reading the book very recently and 
I think that the the book is like 20 chapters and we meet James in like chapter 17 or at the end of 16 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're Bella and Edward Bell and Edward Bell and Edward Bell and Edward. And then we have a conflict introduced at the 11th hour. And uh, (laughs) I, I, I thought it well, I mean, I have plenty to talk about with with James and everything, but I was surprised in the book at how quickly it was resolved. Um, And then when I was reviewing the movie after I read the book for the first time, I've seen the movie before. After I was reviewing the movie, I thought it's even quicker in the movie. They cut stuff. Mm -hmm. They cut stuff. We already talked a little bit about James changing Alice like. Uh, I can't believe is is that important or not? It seems like a really important detail. Is it ever brought up in the future books? I haven't made it through the entire series of books yet. It's no, at least really. more depth. They they talk about the fact yeah. that she was institutionalized and mm. and that they discovered James was the one that changed her. Yeah. But other I than mean, that, they don't really go into that. Well, I was just going to say Bella also in the book only has that fake conversation with James on the phone and writes Edward that letter that she stashes in Alice's luggage. Yet again, does Uh, something that makes you like her. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you're yelling at the book. Why are you being stupid? But to be fair, she is making a choice. It is based on her love of her, of someone besides Edward. That is one of the best things in the book that what almost gets her killed is because she loves someone besides Edward. And I think that that is one of the best character traits that she has. So, okay. My thoughts on the whole plot with James, and I know this might be a weird hot take. I wish they had just never done that. Like I literally think the first book would have been better if the conflict was like the whole finding out Edward was a vampire, was he going to kill me thing and like Mm -hmm. leaving it there. I know that that, I know that's a weird and I'm sure there could have been, I'm sure there could have been something else, but I was remembering like this time reading through the book and I was like, wow, as soon as this comes up, as soon as they meet James and Victoria and Laurent, I lost interest and I was like, can we just get back to all of the weirdness with Bella and Edward and like their relationship? It just felt (laughs) so like bizarre to me. It fell out of place. I think, I think there's a a reason because, um, in an adult mind, you're thinking there, you really need to show why she needs Edward, you know, this old man, who's in love with her, although he's stuck (laughs) at 17. I get that, but he's a vampire and he's a villain and all of those kinds of things. But you've got this other guy who's worse, who's definitely worse. And so that's okay. Then that she wants to give her soul to, to Edward and, you know, she's willing to give up all everything for him. And, and I think that may have been part of it. You know, that there needed to be an even bigger villain so you don't question a lot of the other stuff. I also listened to just a few minutes of a podcast of of all of the uh, all of the red flags that any sensible person would have gotten 
uh, when in in their relationship as it started moving forward. Oh no, this is an abusive person. This is emotional abuse. This is this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So maybe you needed something else that was so much worse that all the other stuff was okay. But the viewer mm. did get a little back scene that the people in the story didn't see at the time when James, Victoria, and Laurent killed butt crack Santa in the boat. <laughs> Poor Waylon. That butt doesn't crack exist. Santa. I'm sorry. Waylon doesn't exist in the movie, oh in the book I don't, I don't, number one, I don't think you can say butt crack Santa, but at the time of the release of this episode, at the time of release, Halloween was four days ago. But I hope that for this Halloween, one of us just went as Buckrex Santa. That's my vote. My well, vote is somebody got to do it. Wait, but uh, Waylon wasn't Butt Clock Crown. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, we're going off the rails here. But what crown? <laughs> but but butt clack is when you're walking and they just keep clacking together. Yeah, but you clack. said we were you said we were watching it like after Halloween. Yeah. Around the Halloween season. <laughs> we're gonna air the episode, but he's not butt crack clown. <laughs> in the in the diner is the only other time you see him a guy who doesn't exist in the book in any way shape or form so they create a character for the movie skip a bunch of really important cool things in the book <laughs> and have Waylon go don't you remember me I used to play Santa when you were little in the diner and Charlie's like uh, Okay, thanks. Okay. She hasn't been here she hasn't for been Christmas here for since years. she was four. So yeah. <laughs> I cannot let this topic of conversation go without sharing my favorite joke with our listening audience that all of Please you have heard. It. Mom knows exactly what I'm talking I about. To tell it. I wish it's an audio podcast, so none of you can see us, but everyone is shaking their heads at me. <laughs> the visible so, will work. Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> why? Our butt cracks up and down and not side to side. Because, <laughs> because if they were side to side, when you go down the slippy slide, your butt would go. <laughs> Still a better love story than Twilight. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so i have a, i have a strange question from that oh, to get no. us back okay. on track so oh, not how, about butts okay in, in, no in what in in what ways is that meadow scene uh different from the book to the movie because i think there are oh. some some big differences the placement of it when it happens all right i'm i'm gonna go on a rant here's here's my rant of the day similar to my rant about hunger games. So you're just going to stick with me. That was the stupidest possible way in the movie <laughs> to show what happened. So first of all, the scene in the movie, basically Edward and Bella like tells Edward to come off with her and they leave the school. They skip school, which by the way, neither of them would do like Edward will skip okay. school for things, but like they would not get to school and skip. Bella would not do that. Bella takes him off. They go into the woods near the school and 
have like a fight, I guess, like this weird, awkward fight. And Edward is having this horrible moment. He becomes like this murder suicide moment. And like, he, you know, and she's like, you won't hurt me. And then like, as soon as she says, you won't hurt me, Edward literally yanks her arm and pulls her away, which by the way, <laughs> if it happened in the movie, like the way they show it, the movie, if that was real, according to who he was in the book, it would have broken her arm. Like it was not a good thing. So then like they have part of the scene happen. Then he puts her on his back. They run up into the woods and like, he does not run with her like that until after like they've established he's a vampire and that's in both of the works. But then they get up to the top of the hill and he like pulls his shirt apart and shows her his sparkling skin. And he's like, this is the skin of a killer Bella. And it's like, it's like, it's so bad. I remember being like actively disgusted watching this in the theater because in the book, there's this buildup to the fact that there's a day that's going to be sunny and Edward knows, you know, you find out in Midnight Sun, like he knows it's going to be sunny, so they can't be out. And she and Edward were planning on driving up to Portland or something. And uh, they were going to like go. I don't even remember why it was like for books or something. They were going to just drive together and go up, whatever. But because they had the, the whole thing in Port Angeles and he drove her home during that car ride, she had acknowledged like that she knew that he was um, a mind reader. And then like they kind of established there that he's a vampire and they're trying to figure out all this stuff. Mm. And so by the time they go to the meadow, it's basically a date where they're going to have this like time together. And Edward knows it's like actually Bella knows, too, that there's this possibility that he's basically going to kill her when they go to the meadow. But there's also this buildup of like their affection for each other is increasing and all this stuff. So it's after the meadow scene is after not simultaneous to the point where she learns that he's actually a vampire. And so they get to the meadow confirms it confirms. Yes, they get to the meadow after a long hike and it's very like tender and sweet getting there. They get out to the meadow and there's like a brief scene where like Edward and Bella kiss for the first time. And then he like has to jump away from her because he smelled her blood and it like freaked him out or whatever. But like the scene is this like precious scene about romance and like, it was wonderful. And like, they're so in love and they like, you can tell that they love each other and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, we had to turn that into a murder suicide plot in the movie where we <laughs> show our skin of a killer. Like I was so like, so angry, but it is a completely different thing happens on a different day. It's, it's wild. Another thing uh, in the movie, when Bella visited the Collins the first time they were cooking food for her, um, and yeah. Edward said that she'd already eaten. Rosalie breaks the bowl and, and walks off. You you don't have enough story about Rosalie. I love that. To know that yeah, I thought that was a good addition. A horrible person. I, I, you just don't. This is, I this love is how one of those dumb spots. It is, it is. To be clear, yeah, that was that was yes. for the movie, but not a not in the book. But it, you know, I guess it's supposed to show you a little bit more about Rosalie. But to me, it's it's just. It's just too much. She's it's like, jealous. who in the world is she? This is what has blown my mind 
about this since I got into this trivia research. The production cost of the movie, $37 million. Okay. Mm -hmm. The USA Canada gross, $408 million. Worldwide, $407 million. Dear Lord. They made their production cost back in the first weekend, and they more than 10 times (laughs) made it it in the U.S. and Canada, I, and then again worldwide. I, th- I think that statistically, I, I once read that most movies need to make at least their production cost back in the first weekend because their total gross is usually just over double mm-hmm. their opening weekend. Mm, okay. And yeah. so for it to be 10x, it, it's got long legs. You probably had a lot of repeat viewings from big fans. This becomes 20x when you when you add the worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Well, did you know that this is Robert Pattinson's first uh, role playing an American with an American accent? Because he is very British. So he gets to develop his American accent. And then uh, pretty Mm -hmm. soon, well, not pretty soon, a decade or so later, he's emo Batman. Yes, he is emo Batman. I I really liked that uh, Robert Pattinson musically was he got to actually be a musician like Edward is. I don't like it in movies when a character that's supposed to be very musical is like clearly not really musical or whatever. And so he actually plays the piano in the scene where he's playing Bella's lullaby. He is the one playing the piano. Robert Pattinson had two songs on the soundtrack called Let Me Sign and Never Think. Mm. Never Think is the song that's playing uh, during the restaurant scene right after he saves her in Fort Angeles. And then Let Me Sign is that song that plays after uh, Bella gets bit and she's in pain um, in the ballet scene when he's sucking the venom out of her arm where it's like, I can't understand the words. Like, I've always thought that was such a weird song. So that was funny to discover. A few other little rapid fire trivia notes. Pattinson, he and Kristen went to Catherine Hardwick's home, the director's home. They go in her bedroom and they portray or play out the the uh, meadow scene. And for whatever yeah, reason, like why would Catherine Hardwick, I don't know her, I don't know anything about her, and I'm not saying yeah. anything weird. I just don't understand why you would want to use your own bedroom and bed. have these two, the bed. One yeah. minor and one adult at the time, by the way. Kristen right. Stewart turned oh, 18 during filming. Right, she was... Right. And we so, are we are recording this on Women's Equality Day, <laughs> and I just want to say oh. that if a male director did that, oh. it would be a big problem. I, so I, mean, I think it's okay oh, yeah. to treat this as a problem. But I thought that was an interesting way to like cement her decision on the two of them together. Like, I understand the concept of wanting to see their chemistry. Yeah, I want to, I get the chemistry question, but that is disturbing. That is weird. Kind of on a positive for Hardwick, I guess I was just going to say that this is the first, this was the highest grossing uh, movie at the time directed solely by a woman. Congratulations. And then the, and then they fired her and hired some guys to direct the other ones. <laughs> Which were demonstrably better movies. Um, so, yeah. opinion question oh. for you all. Do you think the relationship that went on off camera 
between Stewart and Pattinson was genuinely where they fell for each other for a period of time? Or do you think it was kind of a mixture of that and a cool way to boost the movie attendance later on? PR. No, it was probably a well i think, <laughs> I think it, was it was PR. likely pr but when you when you work together with someone that both. closely yeah. for such a period of time you you do get a bond with them and if you don't sometimes that really shows on camera josiah has mentioned and sent us a video i thought was really good i think that compared to books and movies of the same time period and all those things i think it got more flack than it deserves in my opinion mm-hmm. um so I did think that was an interesting concept to be aware of. Um, I'm glad that I read Midnight Sun. There were all sorts of other little things we didn't even talk about um, where, you know, we find out that like Charlie, when he speaks in his mind, Edward can't hear him totally normally. Mm-hmm. He hears him as like ideas and things like that. Right. And so that and Renesmee's thing like lead you into Bella's skill and then later Renesmee's, which I thought was interesting. Um, when she first wrote Midnight Sun, uh, Stephanie Meyer doesn't know how, but it got leaked. And so she didn't release it until much later. And I'll also say, I remember that. Yeah. I will also say there is a book that she wrote. She's written two additional supplementary books. In addition to Midnight Sun, she did the short second life of Brie Tanner, which we'll talk about in our next episode. And then she did uh, life and death, which was a gender swap of the original book. So it's the same story as the original book. Edward's character is a girl. Bella's character becomes a guy, whatever. It was an utter waste of time. Do not read it. Like, it is literally the one thing that I'm like. Swan and Edith Cullen. Yes. So I was thinking like, oh, they're going to gender swap it and they'll kind of adjust their personalities and they'll make Bo be like more like give him some, I don't know, in, in any way masculine trait. Or like make it like it's interesting to have it gender swapped. It is so stupid. Everyone is gender swapped, by the way. It's not just them. Uh, Charlie Mm -hmm. is like the only Charlie and uh, Renee are the only people that don't get gender swapped. Everyone else is the opposite gender. Mm. It is not interesting. There's no like actual depth to it. It like is the exact same characters, except Bo is a boy that likes classic novels and is shy and takes care of his mom. Um, there is the possibility of a TV series in the works based on the Twilight series. Should be interesting. As much as I do enjoy this, and I like, I joke, like I love hate the movies, partly because again, they're not adapted well. Well, at least first one. But there were a lot of criticisms that Stephanie Meyer and Twilight got. So like the difference in the tropes, not the tropes, sorry, the difference in the lore of vampirism was kind of like, why and it there is a question to be had like why vampires if you're gonna make them so much different than vampires you know stuff like that um the like the idea of the werewolves but they're not really werewolves they're shapeshifters like that you know we get into that later but i think that a lot of the the most significant criticisms were around the like unhealthy portrayal of relationships Definitely. And then obviously like there's every critic is probably going to have something to say about like the plot, you know, being thin or whatever. It's a love story. I don't really care about that, but I did want to talk really, you know, briefly about the, um, the unhealthy relationship things, because, you know, I had mentioned like, man, we're covering this on the podcast. I want to be cautious of how we do it. Cause I never want to like just spend the whole time hating on something. You know, I want to be realistic about, 
what was good or bad, but also it is true that like, when I read this back, when I first read it, I was a young adult who had just gotten married and it didn't occur to me how unhealthy a lot of it was. When I read it back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would not want my daughter to read this because it's, you know, it's so difficult Mm -hmm. because ultimately if there's a person that you're in love with that like threatens your life or controls you so that you don't like, like under the guise of protecting you actually controls you. Like a lot of that stuff is not good. However, I think um, when we were talking about this the other day, Josiah had sent us all a video that I said, you know, earlier I watched, and I think I'm going to include the link to the video in the podcast notes. If you want to look at the show notes to check it out, it's about 20 minutes long. And it's a review of like, essentially, sorry, Stephanie Meyer, because when you look at a lot of the entertainment from the same time period before, after, these are not tropes that are like specific to Twilight. There's a lot of portrayal of terrible relationships in many different ways. Um, And so I think it, you know, I think it got probably a lot more flack than it deserved because of how popular it was, not necessarily because it was the most unhealthy thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. I agree with that. The whole part of him being in her room, watching her sleep. It's bad enough after she knows it. And then she's like, you can't leave. But then before that, knowing he's there. Well, in Midnight Sun, he says there should be punishment for for that Mm -hmm. behavior. That was terrible behavior. But I couldn't stop it. And I'm not going to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the part that's so disturbing is that she doesn't care. It doesn't matter what he does, what he tells her about himself, how he threatens her or tries to scare her. She is just like, I don't care. Please just bite me. I want, my soul is nothing. And I think that Twilight got a big pass from a lot of parents, including us probably, because of the whole, I don't want to sleep with you thing. And, you know, was that fair? Maybe it wasn't fair. Like, maybe it shouldn't have gotten so much of a pass. But at the same time, if you compare it to other pieces of entertainment, it's not as if Stephanie Meyer, and she said this, you shouldn't have role models that are characters in a piece of fiction. Like, I never wrote this as role models. I wrote this as a story I had a dream about. So, okay, quick questions, and then we'll do our final verdicts. Okay, so the question is, are you Team Edward or are you Team Jacob? And I will go first. I was Team Edward in the books, like, hardcore. When I saw the movies, I was like, wow, Taylor Lautner's way hotter and way more interesting. And so I became Team Taylor Lautner when watching the movies. (laughs) But I ended up, like, kind of firmly staying on Team Edward. Uh, I'm Team Edward. It's probably because I read this as a full-fledged adult and a mom of teenager at the time. But I'm Team Edward because he absolutely refused to have sex before marriage. Um, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Actually, I'm probably more Team Jacob because um, Bella didn't have to change to be with him. Um, he was he was more hot headed and things like yeah. that. But, um, I think it, it when I'm thinking about it as as an adult, I'm thinking, okay, she didn't have to change. She didn't have to become something different. So, yeah. yeah. 
I'm stealing this from my friend who's probably stole it from a meme, <laughs> but I'm team Tyler's van. <laughs> Wish it would have ended the story right there. But this was a this was a no, six-minute mini to, movie. <laughs> if I had to pick between Edward and Jacob, I guess Jacob, Dad, you made a great point. She doesn't have to change for Jacob. Um, I think that Jacob and Edward are both really manipulative, but Jacob's kind of manipulation is more of a nice guy towards her a lot of the time, whereas Edward is like, I'm evil. You're I'm going to kill you. Um, <laughs> but Jacob is that more doesn't like, do it for you. Care of you. I don't know. I'm sorry. The murder. Oh, I don't think either one does it for me. Would you uh, would you become a vampire if you could, if this was real? No. Why? It's a simple, it's a simple answer. Um, one of the things that has come back to me in the time getting ready for this, they, they never sleep and Ugh. they, they don't really have a purpose that they, they don't have anything to do. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what would it be like to live for 200 years and never sleep? It just, it is not not wonderful paradise to me i hear i hear that as yeah. pure torment so no maybe it's watching kristen stewart but i'm gonna give the vapid answer and say yeah if i could be super hot and incredibly strong and rich <laughs> for the rest of eternity that sounds great sure <laughs> yeah and you have a sister that knows the future and can work the stock market <laughs> All right. Well, we have come to the point in the podcast where we give our final verdicts about whether or not we think the book or the movie is better. Um, I'll go ahead and do mine. I I think um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it this way. I think the movie is better because it's over faster. Um, I, <laughs> because because I got so bothered by the first person narrative in the book it just sounds like like bella is just whining about life and her parents love her and they have an amicable divorce and you know all of but she just has a horrible life it's just not worth <laughs> living and i yeah so that's that's my final verdict that is so funny. I'm going to give a little behind the scenes thing here and say for our listeners that my sweet husband, our producer is muted on the track here, but he's like kind of sitting here with us. And I saw, I was looking down and I saw him as soon as you said that mouth of the word savage. <laughs> and I just thought that was, that was really accurate, but I totally get it. I did like the book in the fact that I got background on other of the characters that we didn't get in the movie. So I would pick the book solely for that. I do agree with you, Tim, that what they covered in the movie was in, was more concise. It was, I mean, obviously it was over quicker, but you still got a picture of the characters. You saw it and it gave you a, a basis. And I did want to go on and see the next movie. So I'm I'm still going to choose the book in this case, but um, I'm not I'm not completely in 
utter disagreement with you. My final verdict is that the book is better than the movie. This is not the best Twilight book, and it's not the best Twilight movie. Um, if you're looking for romance, it's gonna it's gonna be the best book. I guess that's not my number one concern, but the book makes mm-hmm. Bella more likable. And uh, yeah. even though the movie works to foreshadow James uh, as the ultimate conflict of the movie, the book makes Bella a better character. <laughs> so um, I don't think I'll I'll say this about the future books. Spoiler alert. But this book is uh, better than the movie. It was so it was directed so weirdly. Uh, there were so mm-hmm. many. Oh, yeah. The color filter. Can't get over that color filter. I think most of the actors were chosen poorly, and I think it affects the rest of the series. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, book is book is better this time. I personally think that this movie was trash. <laughs> so I hated the adaptation. I hated the blue coloring. I thought I think that the characters of Edward and Bella had zero chemistry, which I do think they have more chemistry literally in every other Twilight movie after this. I think it was mm-hmm. very yeah. poorly directed. Um, I watched some of the bonus content from the Twilight movie just to see what it was like. And like, even when the actors are like going back with Hardwick and kind of seeing some of the places that they shot, I felt like they felt awkward with her. Like, I don't think that she directed this well. I think it, it, it comes more down to that. I don't think that like the actors are to blame yeah. necessarily. Um, particularly as we've said, both Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart actually can act, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and you don't realize that until later on in the series slash in literally other like IPs that they do. But I enjoyed the book so much. I think the book is better almost all the time, obviously. So I'm an easy one, but I enjoyed the book better. I think that it was a more engaging story. I liked the characters in the book so much more than I liked the characters in the movie, the way that they were portrayed. Um, And despite the fact that I felt like the whole James thing felt extraneous, honestly, like I definitely enjoyed the book more. Hey, thanks for listening. If you have questions, feedback, or future episode ideas, email us at bookisbetterpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, most places online at Book Is Better Pod. Please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. It helps us out a ton. And in two weeks, we'll be dropping our episode on New Moon, Eclipse, and the short second life of Brie Tanner. Until then, enjoy your fall. So it's similar to the Harry Potter series. The Harry Harry Potty. It's similar to the (laughs) Harry Potter series. I'm sorry. It's now Harry Potty for the rest of your life. (laughs) 